It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Geek of Chaos, episode 115. All hail the reign of Zayas. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. This is our attempt to talk to Reign of Zaius number two. So this would be beneath the Reign of Zaius, I believe, in uh, parlance. <laughs> I am joined by Brian Neary and Davis Zaius. How you guys doing? Fantastic. Pretty good. Thank you for having us. Hey, you know, thank you guys for coming back. Um, we had you, what did we talk about, a month ago, maybe? A little more than that, I yeah, think. about that. Yeah, maybe six weeks. Had a blast talking to you guys. And you are another victim of my failing software issues. So yeah. th- thank you for coming back on. I do appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, not a problem. Um, you know, I was kind of I was kind of shocked, or not even shocked. I was pleasantly surprised when we spoke, just like how much of the same crap we're into. But um, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about your band. I mean, you're called uh, Reign of Zaius. Tell us why. Absolutely. Well, you know, we... Um... You know, we were contacted by the Great Ape Council of the Future, and, uh, you know, we were actually <clears throat> contracted to, you know, try and improve ape-human relations. So, yeah. so. we all essentially answered the same um, Craigslist ad looking for musicians who were into more stoner metal, but uh, also had the ability to send in, send a good message that would be approved of by the Ape Council of the Future. Turns out you can send, you know, Craigslist messages back into the future. And so, you know, they support us. They uh, give us some money for our practice space as long as we keep cranking out some tunes that they approve of that uh, hopefully will improve the human-ape relations and, you know, we can avoid some interspecies bloodshed. Well, and on that note, it looks like you guys have worked because we've elected our first orangutan as president. Buzzing. Wow. (laughs) Good times, good times. Let the the lawsuits begin. Yep. (laughs) Oh, hopefully I'm still small <laughs> enough to say that without getting caught. Um, but you guys, I mean, so stoner rock, would you consider that to be your genre first and foremost? More or less. We're trying to run with the term ape rock, actually. Uh, you know, do your own thing. So, example, if you go on to, say, iTunes, you'll notice that Primus uh, is in the category Primus because there's not really anything that describes it. And we're hopefully going to be able to approach our type of music in a way that's original enough so that we'll have just the term ape rock. But if I were to kind of boil it down to its molecular level, I would say that stoner metal or more of the blues-based uh, heavy metal hard rock would be where we're at. Right. Yeah. Well, and you guys, I mean, I, I bought your album. Um, why don't you real quick just shout out the websites where people can find your albums and buy them, and we'll do it again at the end, but we'll get it in right now too. But go ahead. Sure, yeah. Yeah, we're at uh, reignofzaeus.net, and, uh, you know, our album is up on Bandcamp. And that's uh, I think, Reign of Zayas dot Bandcamp. But Something you can wrong. you can get there through our uh, Reign of Zayas dot yeah. net. 
Okay. And uh, this album or this EP you're calling Planet of Reign of Zaius, right? Correct. Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, you have, there's some definitely just like what you'd almost call archetypal rock and roll riffs and feel to your album. Like you're a little bit, you got a little ACDC, a little bit Maiden in there, but you're definitely your own thing. Who, who were some of your musical inspirations? Well, you just named a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do I, I guess I could do this interview by myself. <laughs> you don't even need us. Yeah. You know, definitely Sabbath. Sabbath is probably our, our yeah. deepest, you know, deepest influence for all of us. Yeah, it's one of those questions like at no point does it not sound like Sabbath. That's kind of a very important uh, aspect right. of our songwriting. But. We actually had a friend tell us once that, uh, you know, some of our songs sound somewhat like Sabbath and the ones that don't sound exactly like Sabbath. That is actually really awesome. If you're going to be, <laughs> if you're going to be compared to anything, 100% of the time, you can't do better than Sabbath. Absolutely. But Absolutely. as you had mentioned that, yeah, tons of other uh, great heavy and hard rock uh, bands. Uh, Alice Cooper is really big on me. We really like the theatrical level, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's really important with Alice Cooper that he has that sense of theatricality. Uh, and as like a front man, he probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves because he's not like hitting the insane notes that say uh, the air raid siren Bruce Dickinson is hitting. Right. But, uh, Alice Cooper will actually um, sort of personify. He becomes the character of a single song. So then it's more important for him to make choices that push forth that character rather than, you know, oh, I'm in direct harmony with this line. You know? I'd rather hear the kind of growling side comments uh, as opposed to a big rousing chorus that has, you know, pitch perfect uh, chord progressions. Oh, yeah. Well, like and, when you watch him perform Ballad of Dwight Fry. Oh, uh, yeah. I was actually going to bring that up. That video was tremendous. Yeah. yeah that's straight jacket. And, yep. And I saw that like I saw that on like Saturday Night Live or something when I was a little kid. I mean, like four and it's I, that may not have been the show, but that, it stayed with me my entire life. We're talking 40 years later, and I can still pull that memory out. Yeah. And even a ballad of Dwight Fry, that's a great pull for something that's very much up the uh, the Reina Zayas alleyway, uh, in the sense that I believe Dwight Fry was specifically played Renfield in the first Dracula movie, and it was about how he went crazy. Yes, or at least how at least the the idea. I don't believe that he ever actually did, but the rumor was or something that he did. So I think that's what they were running with. It's well, been a long one time. Of those songs writes itself. Yeah. No. Exactly. But even you know, it, just to just stay with Alice Cooper for a minute. Uh, my dad was a big Alice Cooper fan when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and he did a song on the album Killers, and I think it was called Killers, mm-hmm. and it was his tribute to Jim Morrison. Because he sings one part like Alice and one part like Jim, and it's just a—it's about—he sings it like two dueling gunfighters, mm-hmm. and it's just an outstanding song. So if nobody—if you are interested at all in Alice Cooper but don't know that song, go check it out. Yeah, just just uh, wanted to say that. <laughs> there, there's a great version of that on the Alice Cooper Show, which is probably one of my favorite live albums of all time. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, not not Alice Cooper Show, Fistful of Alice. I'm sorry. Yeah, then that, that song is actually called Desperado. That's it. You're right. Yes. It's been a long time since I've really listened to Alice Cooper, but that's yeah. the that's the one right there. But yeah, he was good. He was actually on the ballot, I believe, uh, because he had that song elected. Oh so yeah. Was, you know, very much in prominence again in the pop culture scene for the past few weeks. No, that's good. Well, he should be. He's really the godfather of 
so much theatrical rock. I mean, I know that there were a few before him, but he perfected it. Yeah, no, he, and he's predated a lot of acts. I think his first album was actually 67. So that's, you know, in the Zeppelin era, in the Who era, mm-hmm. before you had, like, Kiss come out and start really blowing things up in a lot of directions. Oh, yeah. Well, and actually, honestly, Alice Cooper used to be the band name. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and then, he, then he just took it on as his, as his name. Yeah. yeah. And as I understand it, all surviving members of that original band, he still cuts a check to every year for that name. Probably. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. If the last I heard, you know, and like I said, I'm not up to it up to the moment, but the last mm-hmm. I'd heard, he was still sending those guys money every year for his, you know, for that right. So. Yeah. Like uh, Glenn Buxton, I think, is probably a guy who's still alive in there. Yeah. yeah. And his real name was it Vincent Fernier? Was that my yep. right? Okay, cool. Yep. Son yeah. of a preacher. Yeah, I have. Yeah, everyone talked everything. about how he was the Antichrist, and his dad was literally a preacher. I think Arizona's where he grew up. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of how that whole thing works. I mean, listen. Uh, well, look at Sabbath. Look mm. at all the shit we were told when we were kids about what they were into. You know. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to talk about guys that are absolutely batshit insane, uh, last night, well, we did, we actually had a show last night. I think we could. Yeah, yeah, we just we played a really fun show last night in Brooklyn. Yeah, we were at Hank Saloon, and uh, the sound guy essentially was just telling us that he used to uh, used to help out for Gigi Allen. Who Holy was, shit, that's the craziest yeah. man on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had a, a story of essentially uh, Gigi Allen was exposing himself to the you know wherever he was playing, just exposing himself, and I guess it was the daughter of some mobbed up guy, and they wound up beating the hell out of the yeah, sound they, guy. Yeah, they pistol whipped, pistol whipped the sound guy after yeah. the show, to, and he was just like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Now, G- oh, God. He's, Gigi, Gigi Allen is dead now, right? He is. Okay. Yeah. Did he? No, he he was going to kill himself on stage, but didn't do it. No, he no. heroin got him first. Heroin got him first. Now, here's the thing about Gigi Allen. I thought he was dead like seven years before he actually died. Somebody had somebody had put it in my head that he actually had offed himself on stage, and it was before the internet a little bit, so you didn't go and check it. Yeah, yeah. And you know how bullshit facts work; they get lost in your head and they stay there. Yeah. Like you know, Richard Gere totally stuffs dribbles up his butts. I mean, everybody right, totally right. believes that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have an app to track that now, so we yeah. know what's true, and it is obviously. I mean, oh, I'm you not... get, you guys have GerbilTracker.com too? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We have the cheaper version. Camps oh. oh god! <laughs> uh, see, this is what I this is what I missed from our first conversation. You guys are a kick in the ass. So, how long how long have you guys been playing together as Reign of Zayas? Uh, I think almost five years. It'll be five years in um, in I think April, something around there. Yeah, I had just moved from Boston to uh, New York. Look at Oddly enough, able to find a band before you find a job, and <laughs> I just started playing with these guys, and uh, Dave specifically, we just kind of clicked, because, you know, uh, as a drummer, uh, you, you find the bass guy to be no- normally your uh, your side man. Yes, yeah, so, you know, the the whole rhythm section thing. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and, and we, you know, we just, we have a lot of this, a lot of the same interests, a lot of the same ideas, and, and you know, we work really well together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, coming from, now, you guys are out of New York, am I right? Okay. We are. We're out of Brooklyn. Yeah, you're out of Brooklyn. And uh, so when you left Boston for Brooklyn, were you able to park your car? I know. I had to do I try it. Sorry. Very, no, I try very hard to not have a terrible, shitty Boston accent. And I think I do a pretty decent job. You you actually uh, do, because I, I wasn't picking up on it at all. 
Yeah. Every once in a while he slips though. Yeah, well, if you if you drink enough, that'll happen. <laughs> uh, so my father actually came out to visit me uh, maybe like two three months ago, and as if he were just you know written by some uh, Seth MacFarlane you know sort of bit part in one of his movies, he just talked, oh Bry, there's no way to park over here. I must have circled in that car for like thirty times, kid. <laughs> it's wicked fierce, kid. Oh uh, yeah. It, <laughs> Almost verbatim, like if, um, if you were writing a stereotypical Boston part, that yeah. is what he just spews off the top of his head. Speaking of, oh, go speaking ahead. Speaking of that, oh, did you see that Simpsons episode where they went to Boston a couple weeks ago? Uh, that was spot on. Very oh, good. It was, you know, it was fantastic. I am, I am ashamed to to admit it. I haven't kept up on the Simpsons for the last two or three years. And no, I, you don't have to be religious. Uh, obviously, I had heard that there was a, a Boston-based episode, so I made sure to catch it, and uh, it was really great. It had. Um, Voices from notable Boston guys like Bill Burr, uh, Amy Poehler, who I think is from New Hampshire, uh, or at least you know somewhere in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and um, also uh, who else? Dana Gould, who is a, a great fan of the Planet of the Apes. Movies yes, he did, he does a great um, Doctor Zayas doing Mark, Mark Twain. Twain. Yeah. Oh, God. you know what? I think I've seen him do that. <laughs> it's amazing. Go ahead, guys. Hit pause. Take a take a little YouTube trip. Yeah. And get <laughs> I think now that you mention it, that's one of those weird things that like you don't think of, and then somebody mentions it, and you're like, "Oh God, I saw that on the Comedy Channel in like '98." I thought right. I hallucinated yeah. that. <laughs> hey, you guys are horror movie fans, right? Correct. Absolutely. Okay, so I um, have you ever had a dream that was so real that the details were so specific that you kind of went, "I don't think that was a dream. I actually think I saw a parallel universe." <laughs> It sounds like you have a story. What, what happened? <laughs> well, only because there's like, you know, you can tell this to like most people if they're not into horror films or Friday the 13th. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, right. so I wake up from this dream where a friend and I were going to watch Friday the 13th part uh, three. And yeah. okay, so it starts up and I'm like, well, this isn't right. This is all taking place in a mental hospital. And it was all about Jenny in a mental hospital. And then I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And in the dream, I actually paused the movie. I'm like, this isn't right. I, part three was like a whole different group of people back at the camp. And he's like, no, 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 you're thinking of something else. And then I started going through the movie collection. And each copy, every Friday the 13th movie was different up until number five where the series ended because uh, Corey Feldman destroyed the series by by trying to take off as a new murderer character and it didn't work. Right, right. But some of the weird details in it were so specific. I was just like, where the hell did this even come from? Yeah. And you know? so this is in your dream, right? And yeah. You have these very specific things. Wow. That must make you feel like the biggest nerd in history. Like oh, just yeah. That, those details so ingrained that in, while you're dreaming and, you know, in a land where a unicorn can ride in and, like, you know, fart out a Corvette or something like that. Oh, you're yeah. You're busy going over the chronology. Oh, no, exactly. It, I am that big of a fucking nerd. I know that. That's not a question. But <laughs> but it was just the specifics of it were so... And, like, this friend of mine who, you know, who knows... I don't remember who the person was, but they're going over, like, all the details. And then I still thought it was, like, hilarious that Corey Feldman still fucking ruined Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even in your dreams. Even it's in a dream. time, boys. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I was wondering, maybe it's because that music video thing he did or that musical appearance he did. Maybe that's what brought it up. Yeah, keep something swirling in the old head toilet, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I, I didn't uh, I didn't watch that. I didn't want to be, you know, 
I saw so many people post stuff about it on social media, and I was just like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to watch the uh, train wreck of Corey Feldman. Well, see, that's in direct, uh, that is in disputing now. All of everything I know about you, as far as loving the social media of like, say, the Iron Sheik. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a train wreck in and of itself. Oh, yeah. I was actually very disappointed to find that he doesn't do most of that himself. It's just some guy saying fuck and then adding a noun and then <laughs> putting it out as the sheik. But... Oh, well, yeah, but I, I believe the actual sheik's appearances are pretty gonzo. Oh, he's batshit. It's yeah. awesome. Jaw won't let you know. Talking about uh, suplexing a guy, make him humble. Yeah. Yeah. And fuck his ass. <laughs> yeah. Matter of fact, I think I think make him humble is actually his term for buggery. Yes, that's probably <laughs> Yeah. Which is weird, because why say that and then specifically spell out fucking someone up the ass? Well, one for the Persians, one for the Americans, I guess. <laughs> that's fair. Oh, God, that's rough. Oh, man. Uh, go so, team sheet. Yeah. <laughs> that's good stuff. So when you guys formed as a band, uh, when you guys formed as a band, um, did you know that you wanted to do songs about like pop culture stuff or is that something that evolved? Kind of give me the idea of how you got to that point. I, I would say it kind of evolved, you know, we, we, um, you know, I, I don't want to bring this topic up, but we, you know, we, we did have a singer that left and I started singing and Brian started singing and we started writing about stuff that, that we were, you know, we wanted to write about and that we were interested in. And so we, you know, we started just look, thinking about what do we like? All right, Evil Dead. All right, we like um, Altered Beast, the video game, and, you know, just different video games and, and sci-fi and horror. And we just started going in that direction. Yeah, more or less. Uh, I mean, you write what you know. If you're, yeah. if you're into metal, you know, you probably get a lot of those horror films swirling around in your head. So that's what you pull from. And also, like, the idea of making things accessible, because when you're doing heavy metal, if when you say you're in a metal band, the first thing someone either thinks of is, like, you're in a, you know, 70s-style kind of smoked-out basement band, or you're in, like, some screeching black metal, you know. Or, like, Cookie Monster. Type. Yeah, yeah, like, those are the options that people usually assume. So we wanted to do something where it was heavy metal, which is definitely our passion, but also make it more uh, palatable to people and find different ways that they can get that entryway and writing about songs that, you know, kind of uh, match up genre wise was definitely our inroads for that. So you, so you kind of use the pop culture to make metal more accessible, almost to a non-metal audience then I guess would be one, one way to look at it, huh? That is one way, but you also have the opposite side of the coin where if you're into metal, you're probably, you know, I'd say 70 to 90% likely to like that stuff also. Cause you're right. Be oh, into yeah. horror and sci-fi yeah. and, and, you know, be like a role-playing, there's no one who carves Slayer into their forearm and they're like, Ooh, a horror movie. I don't want to see blood. Yeah. I'm really more into Fellini. <laughs> I thought that was a better line than it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sounds- Sounded good in your head. Yeah, right? it really did. It just did not work <laughs> out at all. No, and that's kind of funny because I was trying to explain to somebody, oh, maybe a year or two ago, because I go through periods where, like, I miss a band that I haven't listened to in a while, and then I buy their entire discography and then play it all at once. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got to keep in mind, I'm, you know, in my 40s. I drive a pretty expensive car. 
I have a sales job, and then I'm fucking blasting Slayer, you know. And he's like, what the fuck? And I'm like, look, I like slasher flicks. I, I think of Slayer as the slasher flick of rock and roll, you know. Yeah, and that's, that is an apt parallel. Yeah, and that was the one when I finally could get my head around a way to t- tell somebody, like, look, man, I mean, I'm not, like, worshipping the devil or anything, but I do like to hear rock and roll music about sacrificing virgins every now and again. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, speaking of Slayer, uh, let's go back to one of the greatest appearances of Slayer in a film, Gremlins 2, where the Angel of Blood was actually played for the Spider Gremlin. Oh. Rain of Blood or Angel of Death? What did I say? Angel of Blood. Angel of Death, seriously? (laughs) They actually took both songs and layered them over the top of each other for that. It was a matchup. No, no, sorry, Angel of Death. Yeah, I totally broke my chain of thought, though. <laughs> I actually I heard that they're doing new Gremlins, which I'm quite interested to check out. You know out. what? Yeah, they've been talking about a remake for four, no, three or four years, maybe I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the guys, um, oh, it's Adam Adam Green and Joe Lynch that do the Movie Crit podcast and did like the Hatchet movies and those yeah. um, have been reporting on it, but I don't know if anything's moved forward with it yet or not. I thought I saw a, uh, a mock, maybe it could have been just a mock-up of what a poster would have been like, but I thought I saw something along those lines. Well, maybe I need to check it out again, because it, I mean, it, it could totally happen, and I could miss it right now. Yeah. yeah. As far as horror movies go, I remember, like, as a kid, because I was born in the 80s, mm-hmm. and so Gremlins was on TV, uh, you know, at a time when it would have been completely pants-shittingly terrifying for me, and that was one of my favorite and first, like, horror movie memories as a kid. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Gremlins. Oh, I got noise now. Yeah, that's right. The, <laughs> the last podcast we did, uh, there were fireworks. So not not you specifically. Uh, we, we were actually talking to someone who specifically had fireworks going off because it was Halloween. Do people set off fireworks for Halloween? They In do. England, apparently yeah, so. Wow. Okay. The English are a crazy people. That is, a, that is true. Yeah, yes. yeah. Oh, but what I was going to say about Gremlins is actually a far more terrifying movie than you than I ever remember it being. Every time I watch it, I'm like, that is so much scarier than I thought it was. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. I mean, it has some over-the-top stuff, like uh, the lady in the chairlift going flying out of the house, which is a great gag. But then you get some really horrifying stuff, like those cocoons. Like, I mean, like a lot of slime-based, you know, weird-looking raptor baby gremlins popping out oh yeah and it's 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 almost a tactile the disgustingness of like that scene with the uh the cocoons because yeah. you can almost feel the heat and the slime that would be required in that situation mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, and yeah number two it was kind of goofy yeah i mean that's yeah, yeah that's that was funnier in hell i thought but it was goofy. yeah uh well wasn't leonard malton in that because uh, he had pans the previous or was it malton or roper I'm not sure. One of those, uh, you know, critics guys who had said that the last movie was terrible. They right. actually brought him into the uh, Gremlins too, so that they could kill him off. Yeah, and if I remember right, I've seen two versions of it. One where Hulk Hogan rips through the screen, and one <laughs> yeah. and one where John Wayne does. Right. Uh, I've only seen Hogan. Okay, God, that could, maybe that's another dream I had about no, an alternate another movie. Another one of those crazy dreams. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what well, I get for eating. Nonsense, well, that's what I get for eating a product called "I can't believe it's not salami" right before bed. <laughs> <laughs> After your first bite, was it like, yeah, I, I can? <laughs> um, yeah, it kind of was. It tasted a little bit baloney-ish, but it was all right, I guess. Yeah, that's all right. It was the screaming that came out of it while you ate it that was troubling. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, uh, before I forget, I have a question for you. Oh, sure. Um, so uh, we might have talked about it the last time, uh, and I guess you had to burn all of that evidence because, you know, we're talking about state secrets and whatnot, and that podcast uh, will never if, see the light of day. If you but, hadn't brought up Area 51. Uh, I know. I just, you know, we started on Dave Mustaine songs, and I just, you know. Yep, it's all downhill. All downhill from there. But, uh, so the last time we talked, uh, we were getting jazzed up over Batman 66, uh, or the animated feature that yes, we had. Uh, the yes. Did you get a chance to see that? I have not gotten a chance to see it yet. Um, un- not unfortunately. So I've been super busy here lately. It's kind of that last, um, you know, I sell plumbing. We're in that last gasp of everybody's trying to blow through getting houses built before what we hope will be rain, but for the last several years has not been in California, been rain. Mm-hmm. So things have been kind of escalating a lot there. And then fortunately, I mean, it's going to sound like complaining, but I'm not. I am getting mailed like five screeners a week for upcoming movies. Oh, yeah? And I'm trying to get get to and through as many as possible and it's just, yeah, I hate to sound like I'm complaining because I have an awesome opportunity. Right. But it, yeah, I, all the little stuff that I want to do to like check out for me. Like, um, recently I was followed by a, um, a martial arts filmmaker out of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, sh- you know, tell me about, you know, give me the list of all your movies. I'll, I'll get them all on Amazon. I'll watch them in the next two weeks and I'll get right back to you. Right. That was six weeks ago. I've bought them all. You know how many I've watched? I'm going to guess one. Uh, I'm not even a full one. I was highballing you. Uh, yep. Man, I put it on and it just like, oh, and like right now my grandson's visiting for a month. So, I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. I am just slammed right now. And yeah, for people listening, I did become a grandfather at the age of 38. Thank you for, wow. yeah, uh, yeah. Well, twice this weekend, <laughs> twice this week, I had my grandson with me at a con and somebody's like, oh, is that your kid? And I'm like, no. Oh, yes, yes, it is. A little further down the line. Yeah, I didn't want to say it. And then somebody, you know, it's always somebody that's like 25. They're like, oh, God, you're old. You're just, Fuck off, kid. What's wrong with you talking to a man like that? <laughs> so I have not seen it yet. Did you get to see it? Yes, it is fantastic. Is it? Okay. Um, it is voiced by Ward and West. Um, so it has that definite feel, you know, like you don't see. Uh, how old is Adam West? Probably. Oh, um, he, he had to have been. Early 70s, maybe. Late right now. 70s, yeah, because I met him last year and he had to be in a chair the whole time. Oh, okay. So yeah. you definitely know better than me. But uh, yeah, but he's doing the voice. And I mean, the voice is the voice. It doesn't change with age. No. Um, they had uh, both him, you know, so Adam West and Burt Ward were doing the voices of their characters. And it's animated and very much the action is in all in the style of Batman 66, the original TV show, you know? And so. It has that great dialogue, like uh, they're oh. running after the Joker or whatever, and they make sure that they, you know, cross at the crosswalk because jaywalking yeah. is still something that a superhero has to abide by. Yeah. So it had that that feel, but also the action was a lot better because you didn't have, you know, middle aged Adam West kicking, you know, fake guy, you know, one of the goons in the face. Oh yeah. You got some better action, and you know, the vehicle. There was a car chase that was absolutely hilarious. And you couldn't do that in the original. That's that's the good thing about the cartoons is you know and and I I think we discussed this last time was the uh, the Star Trek cartoon. Oh yeah, you could do where, things where there. They, mm-hmm. they could just yeah they could just get kind of surreal and and they had some really weird characters and so I think uh, with the with the Batman they were able to do you know push the envelope a little bit more. 
Yeah, yeah. The only thing I didn't like about it was that uh, the they had a the original Catwoman voice. Uh, I think it was either Lee Merriweather or um, I believe it was Julie Newmar. Julie Newmar. Yeah, Julie yeah. Newmar. There you go. Yeah. Uh, definitely not Eartha Kitt. You know. No. I, I had a. I had a 50-50 shot on that because I know Eartha Kitt's dead. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, if I had to look at look at one of them from back back in the day, it'd be Julie Newmar. But if I wanted to, if I was going to do whose voice I would want, I think it'd probably be Eartha Kitt just because it's so campy the way she did yeah. it. Very iconic. But yeah. they, they wound up with Julie Newmar, and she sounds every bit of her age, which is kind of, you know, you're glad that they got the original, but at the same time, it's like, Oh, Catwoman's supposed to be like this young, vivacious vixen. Not to get too alliterative on your podcast. I know you yelled at me about that last time, but I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's quite all right. A rumor I had heard, and I don't know if it's true or not, because I haven't gone back and looked, but they were saying that Two-Face was going to be played by William Shatner. Was that legit or was that BS? Oh, um, I don't believe Two-Face made an appearance. Okay. That's so, that's unfortunate. I mean, they, they might have you know done a background scene where he's there, but it was mainly Penguin, Joker, Riddler, and Catwoman. Okay, so the the regular TV classic Batman the villains. Or the guys from the movie. Yeah. yeah. Too bad Egghead wasn't there. Oh <laughs> uh, well, uh. there there is a scene at the end that brings in uh, an Egghead appearance. Not to ruin it for you, but oh okay. He is animated, tossing some eggs around. Okay, well I guess he's got to be there for some reason. And then yeah. who was the who was the other one that was made up for the show? King Tut. Oh yeah, that was uh, um, Victor Buono in the original. There right? you yeah. go. Good pull. Yeah, and yeah, I like I like that. Yeah, yeah. A uh, Clayface was another kind of villain before they got the the animated series because Batman the animated series from the '90s was absolutely amazing. Well, they had... yeah, I mean that's like the that's like most people's reference for Batman now is originated out of the Batman animated series. But in that one, the, the character Clayface was actually just like this big walking blob of clay, whereas in the original, it was just like a character and like, oh, he could make a make his face look like anything and they'd put him in a mask and that would be the guy. Yeah. You know, poor, Mike, poor Michael Keaton doesn't get much credit. Michael Keaton? Who's that? <laughs> Wasn't that? He was the Batman with... You, uh... you mean Mr. Mom? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, didn't he did he did the Batman with uh, Danny DeVito, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good times, good times. Uh, well, now they, in the in the comics, there were two di- two or three different Clayfaces. Mm-hmm. There was the first one who was an actor who did like makeup, and that's all yeah. he did was like change his appearance. And there was the second one, and he was a big old lump of clay that could actually change shape. Yeah, well, one of the uh, Carlos, like he's supposed to be some Eastern European actor guy, right? Yeah, because they weren't totally trying to make you think of Boris Karloff or anybody. Right, yeah, Yeah. well, clearly. Yeah. God, there's so much good Batman stuff out there that it's really hard to get your arms around it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Even when Batman is kind of shitty, it still ends up being pretty good after a few years. Yeah, I'll be honest. I actually, once a week, I go down to the local library because in New York, we got great libraries and I will pick up, you know, for the train rides, I'll go pick up, uh, you know, some copies of Batman or whatever, you know, some comic book stuff. Yeah. And even the new 52, I know people complained a lot, but, the you know, now that comics have evolved a little bit as far as storytelling goes. Um, you know, the Batman stuff is always a good time. I never like regret like, yo, why did I bother reading this one Batman issue? Yeah, you know, it's never a waste of time. Yeah, especially, you know, well, during the New 52, they really didn't enforce as many changes on Batman as they did on everybody else. 
Except for the kid thing, but yeah. Well, but that even started before then. And and they they still went oh yeah superheroes just came out five years ago Batman's only been you know uh, Batman for five years yet right. he stills had four Robins who a couple are grown men <laughs> okay <laughs> um, it's the turnover rate yeah you know oh yeah and that was the thing they just kind of like to hand wave that and then they did all this stupid shit in other places with other books or like. You know, oh, Superman, he's unrelatable, and therefore we have to change everything about him and make him wear armor mm-hmm. and a high-collar mock turtleneck. And I'm just like, <laughs> guys, the problem with Superman ain't his uniform. It's that you keep having shitty people write him. That's a fact. Yeah. There are a handful of people out there who can really turn out good Superman stories, and you refuse to use them. That's the issue. Mm. You know, like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ramita Jr. is uh, doing... Did a run on Superman recently, which is pretty rocking. Did you you like that? Because I, I thought his artwork didn't fit at all. All right. I mean, I, I just like his style. Yeah. He reminds me of his dad's work on Spider-Man, which is clearly you know a, a very big thing in the, the life of a huge comic nerd. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 iconic. It's uh, it it set the look and feel yeah. for so long. Do you have uh, Do you have like a specific run of like what's your absolute favorite? kind of comic book feel or like you know you'd go with like maybe uh peter david's run on the hulk where he did you know a hundred plus issues or something like that yeah you know what i i do i do have an absolute favorite and it's mike grell's run on green arrow oh really you're more of a dc guy then i am i am a little bit more of a dc guy and it's not typical for guys my age most people plus or minus 10 years from my age are marvel guys and many of the ones just slightly younger are x-men guys <laughs> me, I grew up, you know, it, my, my household was kind of weird, man, because, like, I grew up, like, we watched that Batman reruns, like, all the time, Batman and Star Trek, and Superman came out when I was, what year did Superman come out, 78 or 79? Oh, that's uh, a good question. So, I'm going to say closer to the, the turn of the decade, so I, I guess say 79. 79, okay, so I would have been six years old when Superman came out. Mm-hmm. And I remember, look, I mean, I remember a couple of my early movie experiences. Uh, one of the first ones would, of course, be Star Wars when I was four. Mm-hmm. And that just, that changed me for life, you know. And then Superman. Yeah, wasn't the tagline on that, you will believe a man can fly? You will believe a man and can fly. And God, God damn if you didn't, right? You really, really did. And it was just the most astounding thing to watch. And then what a year and a half later, Superman two comes out and now he gets to like actually punch people. <laughs> and you know, I mean, for me, you had comic books, you had the, the Ruby, um, I think it was made by Ruby's cartoon and you had the old George Reeves Superman show. And I don't want to shit on that. Cause I do feel that's a classic television show, Yep. but he never really got to just go and beat the living shit out of somebody in that. And in Superman two, he got to pound some ass, you know, finally. Although the, I believe George Reeves was the first uh, first instance of someone trying to shoot Superman, it doesn't work, and then they give up and throw their gun at him, which yeah. is kind of, always a great moment of frustration. Yeah. Well, what do you do at that point? You yeah. Know, just, <laughs> fuck it, here, <laughs> take this. Um, but, so, metal yeah. zinc. so those were like, I mean, for me, Batman, oh, well, and then let's not forget Linda Carter when I was a kid playing Wonder Woman. Oh, of Woman. course. Uh, of course. She was, she was fantastic. Usher, ushering many young boys into early puberty. 
Yes. Yeah, or proving that they didn't have an interest in women at all, and there was no going back after that either. I just, for me, it was just like, holy shit, look at her, and then here's two guys I want to be like. And even as corny as Batman was, and it was still Batman. You know, yeah. You right. got badass car, shark <clears throat> repellent in your belt. You can wear your underwear outside your pants, and nobody's going to say anything because you're a muscular genius. <laughs> now, how about Shazam yeah, it's, Isis? It's like you're writing my biography. Exactly. Oh, you know what? God, guys, I, we're going to be able to do like three hours just on classic television here. Shazam <laughs> Isis. Now, I don't know I don't know if you guys have ever like listened to any episodes of the show, but I actually had a guy on from the Shazam Cast podcast, and, I, uh, I heard that one on the way into work about a month ago, yeah. Okay, and that was, like, the whole topic was, like, is DC Comics trying to kill Captain Marvel? Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that, that Shazam Isis show. First off, Shazam is just a badass character. You're a kid, magic word, you're a badass. Yeah. Yep. And it's Isis. Good, you need that gimmick, you know? Yeah. As opposed to, I just happen to be strong all the time. Like, exactly. And that's why, As a kid, you think, well, that's why I just had that one thing. Yeah, and that's why Captain Marvel outsold Superman for 20 years until they sued him out of existence. Yeah, those were uh, some amazing factoids that he was dropping on Yeah, that. and then Isis, she was so hot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just so hot. And, you know, the 70s was such a cool time for, like, superhero genre television. Mm-hmm. The $6 million man. Oh. The bionic, awesome. yeah, the bionic woman, Shazam, Isis. Uh, there was, a, I don't remember the name of the show, but there was a guy that had a magical watch that could freeze time. It was only on for a season or two. Oh, my God, yeah, I love that. Um, I remember that. I can't remember the name of the show, though. Yeah. Um, and you know what? And here's the thing. Let's, let's, you know, we got time to kind of dig into it, dig in for a bit, or do you guys need to run pretty quickly? Yeah, nowhere to go. Okay, well, so one of the guys at the con I was at this weekend, he started his animation career at Filmation. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about some really awesome cartoons that came out in the 70s from Filmation. Flash Gordon, Star Trek. I mean, just these incredible things. They even did a Batman series. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. And so, <clears throat> shit, the time I was a kid, we had in reruns or in new productions some of the most innovative, eye-catching, yet cheap and dirty TV shows that you could ever hope for. Example. Oh, well, I just... Clutch Cargo, man, lasted for 26 years. It cost about $4.80 to make an episode. <laughs> you know, and what they did was they animated everything but the lips and then projected lips onto their faces and, and filmed that. <laughs> you know, um, let's let's look at 1966, which I will put down as maybe the greatest year in television history. Batman... Mm-hmm. Star Trek, The Monkeys. Mm. You're hitting a dangerous triumvirate in the. I know. As far as we're going, <laughs> you're actually. Uh, I think Dave has a lot of monkeys stored up on his. Uh, on my DVR, yeah. I love the monkeys. We we just we just watched the uh, what last weekend we watched the episode with Richard Keel. <laughs> oh God, there's so much good stuff in there. <laughs> Yeah. There really huge, huge is. Monkeys fan. Yeah, uh, I've always been a big fan of the episode where Frank Zappa comes and hangs out, and he's doing an interview with uh, Mike Nesmith, and they're both dressed as each other. So Nesmith has this big, like you know, plastic nose, trying to look like Zappa, yeah. and he's falling off, and <laughs> they're just laughing at how stupid each one is doing. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I, I remember when I was younger, and you know, the monkeys were seen as too corny. And then you get a little bit older, and you realize just, yeah, it was corny as shit, but it was really subversive. 
mm-hmm. in very subtle ways. You know, it, just like, you know, who the fuck put Frank Zappa on TV in 1966? You know? uh, well, that would probably be Mickey Dolan's once they got a little uh, nut sway in power. Exactly. Right? That's just it. Well, look, I mean, when those guys kind of got their... And, and here's the thing. Let's let's just put this out there real quick. Those guys were talented musicians. Yeah, and, and they weren't allowed to play their proper instruments because they weren't the right heights for what they wanted to do. And Davy Jones was the more handsome. They wanted him up front. But right. they, they had to play like they weren't musicians. How yeah. frustrating. I mean, you guys are musicians. How frustrating would that be to like be, hey, guys, we're going to do a show about your band, but we're going to have the drummer play the singer, the bassist play the guitarist, and the singer play the drummer because we don't like the way you look or whatever their reasoning is. And now you have to go and record vocal tracks to somebody else's music, and you're over here going, guys, I own like $18,000 worth of guitar and (laughs) recording shit and this, that, and the other. That is why when they got a chance to finally do something on their own, they named the movie Head because oh, that's that's yes, an awesome movie. Because the whole goal was to make a sequel, and they could use the tagline from the people who gave you Head. <laughs> that is a legit story too. Uh, that's what you get when you hang out with Nicholson long enough. Mm-hmm. That's just it. it. I think that show was you know here's the thing it was written by some really classic television comedy writers. Mm-hmm. And think of the guys who are actually writing the music. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a shame that Mike Nesmith, for example, who uh, – and Dave and I actually always talk about Nesmith because I'm a huge fan personally. He's like number one monkey if I have to rank him, right? Um, he co-wrote a lot of – like he wrote a different drum for Linda Ronstadt, yeah. and that was a huge hit, like you oh, know, yeah. on par with anything the monkeys did. Oh, absolutely. Think of, think of all the other writers they have. I mean, like when you got Neil Diamond willing to crank out some tunes – you know, it's kind of hard to say, like, well, Peter Tork, uh, maybe your banjo, uh, you know, symposium's not going to go over well this week in the next two minutes that we have for this pop song. Yeah. And that's just it. You know, it was a TV show. They're trying to sell albums, yet they still managed to get out these little jabs here and there. And, yeah. you know, they didn't do that without the help of the writers and the directors and the producers. You know, yeah, yeah you know, everybody's like, yeah, you know what? Fuck the man. Let's do this. Well, I think that they gave the monkeys uh, obviously the A side. You know, the main singles would be written by you know all the guys that we've mentioned, Don Ker- whoever's on Don Kirshner's payroll at the time, right? Right. Uh, but the B sides were usually just given to the monkeys, so you'll get uh, stuff like I think uh, probably like Anti Griselda mm. would have been one that would have been kind of just them figuring stuff out. Uh, maybe D.W. Washburn. I'm not sure about who wrote everything because they, everyone had a lot of fingers in, in the pie on that one. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. But, you know, it just, to me, that was always one of the great travesties of entertainment that you take a band like that and you kind of make them famous for being not who they are. It just, it, it had to sting more than we think of it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and then they turn around and people act like they were such a joke for five or ten years, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we have a great affinity for the Monkees, especially as being an ape-based band, you know? Well, I would hope so. I mean, it is a little different. The Monkees do have tails, and apes do not. It's a little bit different. But it is simian-related, I believe, altogether. Listen, your words of hate between the species is not going over well right now. I'm a divider, not a uniter. (laughs) That's what I'm saying, dude. Yeah, I'm a little bitter. I'm an embittered man right now. I'm not letting anybody get along. That's that's where I'm coming from today. We are not going to extend the banana branch of peace for you now. <laughs> oh, God. I was um, actually talking to Dave uh, 
uh, a couple of weeks back about how, you know, we're going to go through all of our EPs and subsequently we'll be naming them after each of the Planet of the Apes films. Right. Mm-hmm. So our next one will be, you know, Beneath and, and then, then Escape from yep. uh, Conquest. Conquest and then Battle. Yeah. Battle. Although if we do uh, wind up doing a full length uh, album, I would like to call it Smell the Peel as an homage to Spinal Tap. That is kind of awesome. That and really is. Just be a picture of a naked, oiled up girl with a banana peel in her face. Yeah. yeah. That... Now, what's wrong with being sexy? <laughs> well, you know, sex sells. I don't know what it sells, but it sells. <laughs> you know, because what do you do with album art anymore? Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, as far as where the music industry now is, if you're downloading, like, say, hip hop or top 40 stuff, you don't really, you just download the songs directly. Metal fans specifically still like the actual physical aspect. They like being able to hold up a CD, read liner notes, look at the artwork. Well, you know it's what? It's a full experience for them. Let and me that's ask... why I feel, uh, especially vinyl. I was just going to ask you about that. So vinyl is yeah, vinyl is outselling CDs. I mean, obviously, because CDs are fucking zombie technology at this point. Correct. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I kind of remember, like, you know, you get the new Ozzy album, man. Check out that chick's ass, and, you know, it's as big as your right. wall, you know. That's got to be kind of cool as, like, a rock band, because now you can have your lyrics. I mean, whatever you want to do, and they're as big, you know, they're, what is that? How big is an album? 12 by 12? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. So, when you have that, I mean, you've got a lot of space. I mean, I'm sure it's daunting that, you know, oh, now we got to get a designer or whatever, but... There, there is an experience to it. It's also, now that the That's recession's right. over, paper book sales are back up because it's hard to read a phone on the toilet. You know, people still want a book, still want a magazine. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I'm actually encouraged by that because, well, and especially for you guys, you, if somebody buys your album, like an actual vinyl album, mm-hmm. and scratches it, you know what they got to do? Buy another one. <laughs> Buy another one. <laughs> That's how we get you. Yep. That's how we get it's... you. But uh, yeah, speaking of like that album deal, and we'll, we'll even bring it back to Alice Cooper. That guy had the best albums ever because an album is another chance for you to show a little bit of personality and be artistic about something. Mm-hmm. Alice Cooper had great like if you looked at Billion Dollar Babies, you opened it up and it was a wallet. It was fake Alice mm-hmm. Cooper bucks inside. Uh, Schools out actually folded out into a desk, and I right. think that it contained a, a pair of panties over it as well. Or maybe that's another album, but. Al Cooper actually had a, a pair of women's gigantic, you know, panties uh, when you bought that album. And then, you know, Kiss ran with that when they, you know, they had the little fold-out love gun, and they would have like the posters no, that, you know, that you put, you piece them together, and you get the whole band. Oh, yeah. um, you know, and I, I'll say like the other thing with albums too is I always used to look at the uh, special thanks, you know, the, the, who the band would thank. Yeah. Liner notes are and, very yeah. And that's, and that's how I would find out about other bands. Well, and if, um, just to kind of break aside for a second, one of my favorite bands of all time is faith. No more. I just oh, yeah. fucking, you, love yours, it. Yours, yours, yours in my boat. Yeah. Have we talked about them already. Oh, uh, we probably have, but on their second album with Mike Patton, mm-hmm. Jim Martin wanted to leave. Oh, really? Yeah, and um, if you go through, I think it was Angel Dust, but there's an album where, like, every line of the liner notes is special thanks to Jim Martin, and it was basically like, dude, we know you're sick of our shit, or whatever it was. I don't know if that was it. <laughs> but Yeah, yeah, you know why? Because uh, Fool for a Day, they brought in Trace Bruins for Mr. Bungle. Yes. Well, it's just as well, because I believe Jim Martin had uh, left to go to the future with Bill and Ted, as he did in the second Right, film, right. If you remember that. 
I don't... the church of Jim. Okay, so Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which is the second one, they're in the future hanging out with um, George Carlin, like you do, mm -hmm. and they bring in, you know, because they're in the future. All right, guys, today we have uh, the minister of the church of Jim Martin, Jim Martin, and he just he's hanging there in the future with Bill and Ted. <laughs> yeah. The next you're going to try to tell me there was a third Highlander movie. <laughs> with the WWE's edge? Yes, I will tell you that. <laughs> oh, God. That's... Wait, which, which one was the one in L.A.? Um, L.A. Not the futuristic one, right? Uh, wasn't it the one where he, he went into, like, the, the L.A. of the 80s? Oh, no. That, there were two of those in the 80s. Well, let's see here. So there was the original Highlander, which is a fantastic movie directed yeah, by Russell Mulcahy. Clancy Brown as Kurgan, which is oh, one of the best, the of the best villains ever. Just oh, yeah. outstanding. Then there was Highlander 2, where they jump to the future, and it turns out they're from the planet Krypton, and... Yeah. Oh, God, it was a fucking terrible movie. It just, and then uh, Highlander 3, Retcon Ahoy. Yeah, where they don't act like Part 2 happened, but they make it a remake of Part of the First. But uh, Mario Van Peebles is the bad guy. Oh, yeah, Ooh, I remember yeah. that. Now, yeah. um, okay, so if you hear any screaming, it's because I'm trying to actually gnaw through my own wrist and bleed to death as we're talking about Highlander 3. Uh, <laughs> well, you're keeping that very well subdued, Yeah. Well, I've had years of letting this wound scar over, and now I'm picking at it again. Um, and then I believe after that they went to the TV show, and they started making movies okay. based on the TV show, I think. Um, well, the TV show at least, because I saw that on, like, USA all the time. Yeah. Uh, that at least still had that bit of Queen running on there. Oh, yeah. I am auto! Right, right. When it, when it comes to stadium rock or arena rock bands making a, a soundtrack for a film, was there a better band than Queen for that? In that genre, like specifically stadium, I can't say no. I mean, maybe – so I'm an ACDC guy. I would say yeah, – that's that would come the, close. Doing like, a Maximum Overdrive. That was the movie I was that, thinking of. Yeah, Maximum yeah. Overdrive was pretty good. But go yeah, back but then you and – got Flash Gordon. That's where I was headed. Ooh. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Um, that, that Flash Gordon and that Highlander. They didn't do in the States. They didn't do a Highlander soundtrack because Queen hadn't sold anything since Hot Space. Mm -hmm. So they didn't release that as its own track. Um, but you know what? As goofy as Flash Gordon is, which was also written by Lorenzo Semple, who wrote many episodes of Batman uh, 66. There you go. Um, that soundtrack that Queen did is just balls to the walls the whole way through. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to find something wrong with Queen. I mean, you can be like, oh, well, maybe a night at the opera is a little long in the tooth. And, you know, like, you know, they go a couple extra minutes on some tracks. But I mean, as far as picking, like, say, the top front man of all time, I always put Freddie Mercury at number one. Yeah, it'd be hard not to. Um, there are two singers that I always come back to that I, I don't necessarily want to hear covers of. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Steve Perry from Journey. Mm -hmm. You got to have some fucking pipes if you're going to even try to get to that or Freddie Mercury. You really yeah, yeah. got to have some pipes. And you got to either have pipes or be a small Filipino boy because that's who wound up singing those <laughs> right. notes in Journey. Well, that's that's who they have singing for him now as a, a yeah. F yeah kid from the Philippines. Not a kid, he's probably fifty, but yeah, well, he looks like a kid because he's like three feet tall. Right, yeah. and I guess I uh, from what I understand, he sings it all phonetically too. Oh, really? 
Wow. See, I had seen uh, it was Cheap Trick, Heart, and Journey uh, when I was still living in the Boston area. I went to go see them on a card. And I, I really don't give too much of a shit about Journey, to be honest. Wheel in the Sky, pretty rocking. I'll mm-hmm. give them that. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, I was just all about Cheap Trick and Heart. Those those are my absolute jams. Those guys are great. Um, but yeah, seeing that little kid, you know, just run around stage, it's really amazing because he sounds on, you know, note for note exactly like Steve does. That's that's what I've heard. Now I haven't listened, and the only reason I ever bring it back to Journey is Journey was so ubiquitous when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, they were just. I mean, you turn on a radio, and there it was. And that's the only reason I come back to it. It's because, well, you know what? You know who else I don't want to hear anybody covers Meatloaf. Ugh. Yeah, you know? that's fair. Me- Meatloaf is actually in. I can't. I. I. It's intolerable yeah. to me. I am a huge. Uh, I was. I would consider myself <laughs> a, a karaoke fanatic. Mm-hmm. And anytime someone starts to do that, uh, Paradise so- by the Dashboard Lights. Yeah, yeah. The song where he oh. essentially uses baseball as a metaphor for intercourse. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you you don't do that I, in your personal life. I, I shut down. I can't even hear that. That's you know, nothing against the meatloaf. That guy's got some pipes beyond pipes. Yeah. And a great son-in-law in Scott Ian from Anthrax. Yeah, that was I, something I just found out about, too, is that Scott Ian had married his daughter. But, you know, that Jim Steinman, just his style of songwriting, I thought was just so huge and operatic. Yeah. That yeah he's it, kind of neck and neck with uh, Bernie Taupin, you know? Yeah. He also with Cooper to keep bringing that back. No, see, you know, I'm actually glad because as a guy who was a big Alice Cooper fan when I was young, like really young, I don't, I probably don't give him the credit that he deserves. Yeah. He was really big on, uh, from the inside or on the, excuse me, on the inside, which is the Cooper album that he wrote when he was in the the loony bin. Right. Because back in the, I think it was early eighties when he went for alcohol abuse, you know, they didn't have these big cushy Betty Ford type clinics. Al Cooper literally went to a loony bin because he was drinking too much, and that was the way that he dealt with it. And it terrifies me every day that that's a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just the kind of lesson you don't ever want to have to learn. Yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, so scary. I remember when I was 39, my doctor told me, he goes, your your fucking wheels are about to come off. (laughs) Smoking has already killed you. Uh he goes, I need you to quit drunk, drinking and quit smoking. And I'm like, you can have one. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, quit smoking today. And I was like, all right, we'll we'll what's do your, that. Uh, what's your drink of choice? Oh, I'm a big whiskey and beer guy because I'm kind of a wuss. But I, I don't know how that's a bit of like. What would you consider the manliest way to go then? Scotch. I guess. I mean, sometimes it's a little like too smoky or peaty. That's what I mean, uh, though. It's like this very like I like I feel like if I were to ever like start to enjoy scotch, somebody would come and take it away from me. Go, that's for adults, you know. <laughs> what are you doing, Junior? Here's yeah. your here's your bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah, I'm definitely a bourbon type guy. Um, sometimes I find like uh, I'm not as much into the Jack Daniels anymore because I'm trying to get a little more of the mellow oh, I uh, Jack Daniels. A little yeah. more corn-based and sugary, but, you know, still, if I'm drinking and it's not just uh, beer, which is, you know, if you're getting beer drunk, that's a lot of work. It really is. A lot of yeah. foam's going down. I'm losing a lot of nutrients through yeah. my urethra. Uh, yeah. You know, it's tough. Um, well, yeah, so um, my wife and I, we actually, we have a local favorite restaurant that's also a bar. Imagine that. Um, mm-hmm. That we eat, you know, two two nights a week maybe three if we're really just not in the mood to cook or do anything. 
And so we'll get to try everything as it comes through. Mm-hmm. Well, what starts to happen is there, there's, um, so Jack Daniels, Jameson, these are whiskeys that you look at as good whiskeys when you're 20, 21 to 29, right? Right, right. right. Yeah. It's not called 10 high, so it must be good. Yeah, exactly. And then you start finding these like little boutique distilleries and mm-hmm. just these things. And like we found one uh, made in L.A. and it's called uh, Slow Hand. It's made by Green Bar. It's called Slow Hand Six Woods. Mm-hmm. And they cask it in charred oak barrels. Then they take six other types of wood that they char, put it in, and they age it. Mm-hmm. Well, it comes out and it tastes like a forest fire. <laughs> but but the whiskey itself, the whiskey itself is real smooth. It's just it's all this wood flavor. Mm-hmm. So yesterday my wife was working at the convention with me and we finally get to sneak out for lunch and a drink. And it were it's a Mexican place. They got every type of tequila you can name, but my wife doesn't drink tequila. So right. she goes, well, What kind of whiskeys do you have? And the girl reads back the list. She goes, Just bring me a Jack Daniels on the rocks and a Diet Coke. Well, it was funny because my wife takes a sip of the Jack Daniels. She goes, oh, that shit's so rough when you've been drinking good stuff for years. <laughs> I'm just like, that's that's the thing. We've we've elevated our level of expectation so high that to just walk mm-hmm. into any bar now, we're, we're going to just look at everything and go like, no, you know what? I'll just stay without alcohol for a while. <laughs> and just turn your nose down on the, yeah. the regular, like, yeah. mid-shelf stuff. But that's, you know, and like Jameson, I remember there was a time I thought Jameson was, was great. Mm-hmm. And I drink that shit now, and I'm like, it feels oh. like somebody hit me in the mouth with a stick of butter. It's rubbing <laughs> alcohol. Yeah. It's it's super, well, you know what, all Irish whiskeys, well, you know what, here, instead of me talking at you, what what <laughs> what qualities do you look for when you when you find a whiskey you like? Um, I like... I like it to have a you know a nice smooth taste. Mm-hmm. It has to be smooth, and you know so like when you when you drink it, you don't you don't like get the reflux. Yeah, I mean don't don't get me wrong. There are certain times when I'm just looking to get a whiskey down me really quick so that I can start getting the buzz going. That's mm-hmm. not even a question. Oh yeah, we were, we were drinking beam last night. Oh but, yeah, I mean, but that's when you're doing shots. I mean that you know right, right, exactly. you shots yeah, anything a- yeah. Not a sipping whiskey. Uh, my favorite uh, whiskey is actually this uh, stuff from uh, Vermont called, uh, I think, Eagle Rare. It's a 10-year single barrel. And uh, it's just, you know, my absolute favorite because it's more regional. Like, you know, growing up in Massachusetts, you have access to that. I'm sure that you being on the opposite coast probably uh, have never come in contact with it. But I've recently tried one that's uh, called Widow Jane that's actually out of Brooklyn. Oh, that's a great. And it is delicious. <laughs> And it's, yeah. you know, small batch whiskey. See, I, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I'm starting to go for now. We just here in uh, Modesto, California, which is George Lucas's hometown. It's where I was born and we moved back to a few years ago. Oh, let me let me pick up that name for you. Hold on. Here mm-hmm. we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, Scott, Scott and Lacey Peterson are from here, too, and so is Chandra Levy. So it's not all good times. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. There's, let me throw a couple murders in there to bring everybody down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. yeah. I'm listening. Well, we just, um, we've been seeing a, well, we've had wineries, small wineries, big wineries. Gallo wines are from here. Right. So we've always had wine here. But we've been getting breweries and distilleries lately. And um, first off, I think it's a good sign in the economy that little companies that just make booze can start cropping up. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I think it speaks well about us that 
the point of it isn't like the old days, like who can turn out the cheapest, nastiest shit possible, but who can right. turn out a superior product at a reasonable dollar level? Yeah, yeah. Um, this company here, I mean, of course, you know, their top one that they're pushing now is this peaty, nasty, scotch-like shit that I can't stand. <laughs> but they also have all this very nice rum and uh, standard-styled whiskeys that I'm really excited to see coming out of here. So, uh, yeah, no, it's cool. I love regional stuff like that where you're just like, yeah, you know, it, it, we don't ship it across the whole country. But when you go even to, you know, fucking Winnemucca now, there might be some small brewery or something there you can check out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if Winnemucca was too weird a reference for everybody, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so big on your geography, but I'll assume that you know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's like <laughs> way out in the middle of nowhere, Nevada. Yeah. yeah. Mm. The only reason it stands out on my list of places, I know somebody got thrown out of a whorehouse there, and I figure yeah. you got to be pulling some rough shit to get thrown out of a whorehouse in Winnemucca. Seriously. Look, dude, it was a rough week for me, and I told you beforehand I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I didn't mean yeah. to tell tales out of school there. That is getting cut from this podcast. Yeah. Absolutely. God, guys, I think I might need some co-hosts. I, I might have a job offer for you coming up. Oh, well, you know what? We're always around doing nothing but thinking about how to stick it to the man or the monkey, whoever happens to be in charge. Yeah. Exactly. But not the ape. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. The know. apes are superior. But man and monkey, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, let me ask you guys real quick before I let you go. Um, sure. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll let you plug your stuff one more time before we go here since I've just been indulging myself by having fun talking to you guys. Um, what do you guys think of these, uh, these newer Planet of the Apes movies? Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Well, well okay, so <laughs> honestly, outside of the the Marky Mark, yeah, the Wahlberg version. Oh, I, I I've never heard of this particular one. I'm assuming this oh, is okay. a fever dream that you had in a parallel universe. Ah. All right, so we're on yeah. the same page here. Uh, yeah. Honestly, once you get past that, I think it's all good because like everything that they're doing moving forward with those movies is logical. And I think that even starting with, say, the uh, the Batman films, the Nolan Batman films, people seem to want to take this, like, logical step where, oh, this explains how this happens and this is how we get there. And people like to see more of the actual progression towards a story that they are already familiar with. So with that being said, um, you know, I've enjoyed the past few ones uh, outside of, again, that one that did not exist that we wink, wink at. And maybe surprisingly, not surprisingly, I haven't seen them because uh, I am I haven't watched a full length movie in a very long time. Wow, that's gonna help with this conversation, won't it? <laughs> so, so not a fan. <laughs> no, you know, actually, the, the I think the last movies I've watched are the are the five originals. Yeah, um, which is the one that first has Caesar, like as a grown as a grown ape? Is that um? God damn it. I should know this right off the top of my head. That would have been the first um, well, in the originals? Yes, yes, in the originals. Escape. Escape. That should be Escape, yeah. Okay. That's not the one where they come back to the past. Ricardo Montalban. Right. Escape is the one in, in with um, Ricardo Montalban, yeah, with the yeah. circus. Where, where, oh, no, no, uh, okay, so the next one after Escape. So it's the next one, Conquest. Yeah. Conquest, Okay. Um, there are certain types of uh, genre film that I love, like Dune is always going to be, like the movie itself was garbage, but the concept mm -hmm. behind it, that messianic, yeah. huge, grandiose. <clears throat> I love Conquest of the Planet of the Apes because of the same thing. You have this almost 
religious fervor growing around this character. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, is it is it because he, and I don't use the term man, but, you know, we're talking great yeah. ape, or is it because the situations were thrust upon him that required greatness from him? Mm-hmm. I, I just love that kind of stuff. I mean, the entire series Babylon 5 was based on that question. Oh, really? Yeah. It just, you know, is, is the man great and therefore brings about great change? Or do really dire circumstances thrust greatness upon somebody and they either sink or swim? Mm. You know, and I just, I love that. I love Dune because the whole question behind Dune is, is this really some mystical power or is this a bunch of bullshit thrust on everybody by the Bene Gesserit? More or less how the Force is uh, dealt with in the the following uh, Star Trek films as well. I'm sorry, did you say the Force in Star Trek films? Did I? Actually? You did. Wow. Jesus. Are you are you Brian. close? Enough, are you close enough to take away Brian's nerd card right now? Uh, I know, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you definitely got to take away this other beer. That's it. <laughs> um, so. Angel of Blood, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> What's going on over here, bro? Well, we had a long, we had a very long night yesterday. We did. Uh, playing our rock and rolls, and we're just still uh, working our way back to to snuff on this. Yeah, I think I think I got home after three last night. So. Oh Jesus! Yeah, see, I we got home at like eight p.m. and I fucking dropped in my chair and I was out for like forty-five minutes because you know I'd been standing since six a.m. and it doesn't sound like much, but I'm a lazy ass salesman. I'm sitting in a car all day now, you know. Yeah, yeah, you got to stand for a little bit, man. Yeah. It takes a lot. Out it takes of you. a lot out of a man. <laughs> I remember my, my 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 step tracker counted. I had already doubled my daily required steps by like 9 a.m. yesterday. Just oh, running back and forth trying to. Well, I'm sure you guys run into this when you go to a concert and you find out that like shit's not organized as well as you would hope. Oh yeah. And then you're just like you know you cross the same room like 9,000 times in 20 minutes. It's like yeah, you kind of go yeah. into you go into a uh, panic recovery mode. Yeah. And you know this this thing this weekend. First off. If anybody hears this and thinks I'm shitting on the people who put it together, we're talking about a, a comic convention slash reptile expo put together by a 15-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 21-year-old. <laughs> Wait, sl- slash reptile exhibition? Yes. They, dude, this this thing was incredible. So, like, so you were hanging out with herpetologists. Is that what they call that? Because it does yes. burn when I pee a little bit. That, that's the thing, like... <laughs> That, that you never forget that specific uh, you know, phraseology for it because it sounds so weird. But yeah, herpetology. Oh mm. yeah, it was it was incredible. And then I'm looking around. You like their parents help, but like for the most part, these three kids put on a comic convention slash reptile show to raise <laughs> money for Make a Wish Foundation. That's awesome. Oh, and yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's like you know, look, yeah, was it rough? Yeah. You know what I could do at 16? Try to touch a boob. That was the most <laughs> I could try to accomplish. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, I don't want anybody thinking that, like, I'm shitting on them. No, I actually, I, I respect the shit out of these kids. But, yeah. you know, when you're younger, the details are not the thing. What, what's the old saying that uh, amateurs talk um, tactics while experts talk logistics? Oh, being an expert in everything, I don't, I wouldn't know that. Oh, okay, yeah, but, that you know. That must be something you amateurs say. Oh, is that what that is? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, so you know, I get there and it's just the thing where everybody's like, oh, we don't know what we're doing. So now I'm pacing and running back and forth. And, yeah, so I was exhausted. And I wasn't even out till 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm going to ask you guys a question. We'll wrap up. Um, can it really be considered rock and roll music if it's not about the devil, sex, or drugs? 
That's tough. I think that the spirit of rock and roll can be in a, you know any song that you write. Uh, and as long as you have that musical element carrying things forward. But honestly, uh, that I used to have a sort of a more of a punk slash uh, bar rock band. And that was the deal where if you presented a song, if it wasn't about drinking, getting laid or Satan, we're really not interested. Yeah. Uh, so you're going maybe. So way to commit. <laughs> way to commit to the concept. <laughs> <laughs> Look, now that I'm a political figure, I really got to watch what oh, I say. Oh, this is true. You do have all of human simian relations on your shoulders to worry about. That's, I Absolutely. don't want to anger one side, you know. Their opposable thumbs will start pointing downward towards me. Exactly. Well, then let me, let's me let try it this way. Who is greater, gorilla, orangutan, or chimpanzee? Gorilla. Okay. <laughs> With the, I mean, uh, sure, chimp, chimp's definitely more... Uh, academic i would say uh, you know the the orangutans are the uh you know defenders of the faith yeah okay but we're talking in a fight i mean oh in a fight a, in a fight a, gorilla, a, fight a gorilla will win yeah. every time yeah but i'm just saying like chimps might be able to figure out like oh we'll just climb up here and we'll throw rocks at them until they fall because chimps are obviously smarter obviously and orangutans just look really weird yeah. You know, Pierre Pierre Boulle was a bit of a genius, but he did not he understood French society, but maybe not uh simian relationships to each other so well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh Reign of Zaius, where can people find you at? We are at reignofzaius.net. Yeah, and also of course we're still doing the Twitter, which is gonna try to do some more plug in for both the Geekish cast and Reign of Zaius as well. So yep. check us out on Twitter as well. Twitter, yep. Facebook all your, you know, yeah. irrelevant social media, I guess. <laughs> well, relevant to irrelevant. Well, well, and what, are we still trying to get on MySpace? Yeah. <laughs> or Friendster? Can we figure that out? Friendster, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if you can travel time, you might as well go for the MySpace and the Friendster and the Fate and what, what's the other one? The My the My Books and the Face Face Speeds and whatever. Yeah, you just try put to your words all. together. Yeah. It's quite all right. That's how I name most things in my life. <laughs> well, fair enough sir yeah you got it. <laughs> all right well um so we are going to go out uh you know you guys do provide our theme music here not that um there's any anything to be gained by me you know pointing out always how awesome reign of zayas is or the fact <laughs> that the uh the opening and closing theme is from the song out to get mine by reign of zayas uh so yeah everybody check us out at geekishcast.com you can find us at, on facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast i tweet from at the geekishcast and apparently i'm on instagram now at the geekishcast but if it's just pictures of me in a bathtub or something i totally didn't start that when i was drunk <laughs> you know we'll take credit for that you just do what you gotta do yeah all right everybody we will see you next time and uh reign of zayas next time we have you on we'll talk um I don't know, pro wrestling titles and uh, play one of your songs. How's that sound? Yeah. Whatever you like, dude. Signing off. This is Brian. And this is Davis. Thank you. And thank you guys for coming on. Geekish Cast theme music is taken from Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zayas. Check them out at reignofzayas.net.
listening to Geekish Cast. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to us. You can find us on iTunes, Android, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on our own website at geekishcast.com. Geekish Cast is a Vias and Fisher production, and all original content is copyright 2016. If you got a thought or a comment or think you or somebody you know would be a good guest for Geekish Cast, please feel free to reach out and contact me. You can email me, thegeekishcast at gmail.com or jeremy at thegeekishcast. Or you can even phone me at 209-232-6001. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.